Hey gang, I have a fun episode for you today. It's with the hosts of a podcast called Oh Mr. Sheffield, which is an episode recap podcast about the 90s sitcom The Nanny, starring Fran Drescher, which as it turns out is a much more interesting show than most people thought or that you may have remembered. So enjoy this episode, and as always, the way to help the show is to give it a five-star rating, a positive review, share it on social media, etc. Thanks. Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined. I'm your host, R.A. Codewade, and I have two guests today. They are Toria Sheffield and Sean DePasquale. Could you both introduce yourselves? I guess, Toria, can you go first? Sure. Hi, I'm Toria Sheffield. I used to, I briefly worked with you, R.A., at Blogging Heads, and then I also worked with Sean for a couple years, too. So kind of an interesting, as I said before, old and new worlds colliding. Thanks for coming on. So I guess in some small way, maybe I helped launch your podcast career because we worked together. You were once a freelancer <laughs> blogging ads, and I think you were full, were you full-time ever for some length of time, but. Yeah, it, it kind of, yeah, actually being a uh, sort of part-time freelance editor with blogging heads set me up to be a full-time editor somewhere else, which set me up to work with Sean. So it actually totally like one thing led to the other. Okay, cool. But you moved on to bigger and better things since then. Okay, and Sean, could you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm Sean DePasquale. I, uh, I hired Toria, <laughs> and that's all I've ever done. Uh, no, you, bo you both have hired me, actually. Yeah. I'm a writer, uh, comic book letterer, uh, podcast producer. I do a bunch of stuff, creative stuff that doesn't pay well. That's, that's, how, I, that's how I consider myself. <laughs> I do a lot of cool things, and none of them pay well. <laughs> Well, so one of those things, I don't know how well it pays or not. You can fill the audience in if you want. One of those things is the, is the topic of our conversation today, and that is a podcast that you two host, and it is called, well, why don't you say what it's called? Because it, it's called Oh, Mr. Sheffield, and it is a podcast about the hit sitcom from the 90s, The Nanny, starring Fran Drescher. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. <laughs> and you've, de you've definitely done that about a hundred times on <laughs> On yeah. uh, record before. On every episode of the show. That's how I open the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, the show, so Tori and I, uh, we worked together at this place called Bunny Ears, which was a satire comedy website uh, company thing that Macaulay Culkin started. And we we wrote articles together and we got to do a lot of like fun, cool stuff. And the Nanny podcast started as a, as a joke. We needed... Uh, Colkin did a podcast and he wanted like kind of a variety show feel to it. So we had all these little bits that we would plug in in between like, you know, his interviews or whatever. And um, I, I feel like what it was just we were just like spitballing and we were like, oh, we should do fake ads for other podcasts on the Bunny Ears Network, of which there was no Bunny Ears Network. It was just one podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that we came up and we 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 made a fake ad for like. Uh, you know, coming up next on the Buddy Ears podcast channel, like, you know, uh, the Nanny recap podcast, like join Sean and Toria as they talk about the Nanny. And it was like very firmly tongue in cheek. Like we were kind of just making fun of the idea of of recap podcasts. We were like, what's the dumbest show you could recap yeah. that no one would care about? And then the pandemic hit uh -huh. and they put the Nanny on HBO Max and I 
I think I reached out to you and was like, hey, dude, Nanny's on HBO Max. Can we do the Nanny podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And our orig- the whole joke, when it was just a joke, was that it would be, you know, two hosts that approach this 90s sitcom with, like, the fervor and interest that you would for, like, a podcast about The Wire or, like, Breaking Bad mm-hmm. um, or Mad Men. And we were like, we would laugh at the idea that, like, you know, we talk about, like, who wrote the episode and the director of the episode and, and like, get into the mise-en-scene of it. And, <laughs> and then I always – I say it's a podcast that started ironically that is now very unironic because we do that for real and we're 100% serious about it. Like <laughs> – what happened was we did the, I was like, we should do this. It'll be, it'll be real funny. Like we'll do it just, you know, just like she described like, oh, well, you know, cause the idea, again, it was like, let's make, let's, let's satirize like recap shows. Like they're always so serious about like the, the subject matter. So, it, and then we watched the pilot and, and we, we got on to record our first episode and I was like, Hey man, this was actually really good. <laughs> like it's a really strong sitcom pilot. And I think the tone of that first conversation just sort of, and, and really the tone of the start of the series really got us going like, oh, you know, as I mean, we're both like comedy writers. Uh, we both like to write TV. So then it just became, yeah, it became a very unironic look at like the life of this 90s sitcom that is somewhere between like a big massive hit and not, you know, like, <laughs> it, it was on for six years and a lot of people know it. And Fran Drescher is a very famous lady, but it's also not, Seinfeld or Friends or it's not like in the constant cultural zeitgeist and I have theories on that and it all has to do with anti-semitism <laughs> get into that later yes I do want to talk about that angle for sure um yeah, yeah okay so started as a joke and was the nanny yeah. was that picked just sort of randomly as like hey remember the nanny and that seemed funny yeah it was yeah. like that perfect sweet spot of people know it um it's, it's not so obscure but it's also not Friends you know uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. And 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 I think what we discovered along the way is that we both actually had like a weird sweet spot for the show. Like I I've talked about this recently on our show, but about how the Jewishness of this show really spoke to me when I was watching it in the 90s. Like it there weren't there wasn't a ton of stuff that was just like so much about and not like a uh, stereotypical thing of 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 how you know how Jews act or whatever, or like a guy who's like very Jewy, you know. It was just like a lady who seemed like I was watching a relative on TV and all of her interactions with her mom and like the way she's like fluently would drop in and out of like Yiddish phrases mm-hmm. that just all felt so familiar. And I don't know that I had seen anything on TV like that, you know, because even Seinfeld, it's like he's Jewish. But it's not like a Jewishy show, you right. know. He's just kind of a Jewish guy, and like even the Larry David character, like ultimately wasn't portrayed as a Jew. Like George Costanza is not even Jewish, you know. Right. They make him Italian, which is an interesting mm-hmm. parallel mm-hmm. To, to what apparently happened when Fran Drescher mm-hmm. and her husband pitched the show. I mm-hmm. guess the network. <laughs> suggested that they make her Italian instead of Jewish. <laughs> yeah, because I have a feeling that that, again, all stems from anti-Semitism. And it's like, well, Jews and Italians are similar enough, but like, we can't have a whole show with Jews on. Like, who's going to watch <laughs> that? I mean, come on. What, are they going to wear yarmulkes every Friday? Get out of here with this. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I think that that is, I mean, I think subconsciously, that's why we gravitated to this show. But on the surface, I think it was what Toria said. It was that perfect sweet spot of like people know it but why would you rewatch it like why like 
you know, what could be gained from that. And I mean, as we've learned, like a lot, I guess. <laughs> okay. So for people who have no memory of the show whatsoever, either yeah. because I guess it did fall out of the zeitgeist. And if people are younger than having memories from the early to mid nineties, maybe they don't remember it at all. Or like you said, it was, it was a hit, but not, not culturally defining like Seinfeld and friends. So it sort of faded away. So uh, I will quickly say here. this, and we, we can get into it later. It was culturally defining for certain groups, which we learned about the more we were watching the show. We right. can get yes. into it later. Right. Um, okay, so but. if someone doesn't know what the nanny is at all, what is, what's the elevator pitch for what the show it, is? It's basically the sound of music, but with Fran Drescher. I was going to uh, sing the theme song, but okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, but I mean, I think she even, it has, you know. Yeah, it has her, a classic theme song that, gives the entire capsule like plot yeah. and it had this cartoon. So I was thinking I watched it. Uh, so it's, was it premiered in 93, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I would have been 10. And so I watched it, but I, I really can't remember a single episode or plot line or anything, but I remember the theme song extremely well. It's extremely catchy. Yep. And I didn't even remember some of the characters, like how many kids there actually were, but but that theme song was iconic. But I guess maybe it never made it into syndication, or at least I didn't watch. I don't think it did. It I, I think it was one of those shows that as it reached the time for syndication, we started to lose syndication mm -hmm. as like a thing that actually happened. It may have replayed at some point on like Nick at Night. I, I know like at some point when I was well beyond watching Nickelodeon, Nick at Night switched from being like old shows from the 60s and 50s that we would got as kids and became like shows from like the 70s or the 80s <laughs> and 90s, you know, and like, like people that grew up in like the 2000s, like were seeing like old friends reruns on, yep. Nick at Night, which is so strange to me because <laughs> that was where I went to go watch I Love Lucy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, but so what is. What so is the, the plot? Premise, so the plot is basically uh, Fran Drescher plays this woman named Fran who is from Flushing, Queens. She's working in a bridal shop. Her boyfriend breaks up with her. It's a fairly crushing scene. And they, <laughs> they, uh, she doesn't know what to do. She starts selling cosmetics and she ends up at this rich guy's mansion. And she kind of knocks on his door and he's in the midst of looking for a new nanny for his three children. He's a widow very rich man whose wife has died a couple of years ago. And she sort of just sees the mansion and talks her way into this job. And that's the premise of the show is now this, this fish out of water, uh, you know, flushing Queens Jewish woman is now living with these sort of like waspy white bread. Uh, you know, the, the man of the house is this British stuffy British man and his three children and his Butler. And that's, that is what the premise of the show is. And, I think it's important to say that they're also kind of all emotionally inept and, you know, they clearly all had this, this very big traumatic thing happen to them and nobody really talks about it. Nobody really processes it. And it's, it's the journey of her, you know, infusing warmth and life back into this family. Like, I think that's the, that's a big heart, a part of the heart of the show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely the biggest hook of the pilot is Fran, the character's ability to sort of come into this sort of shut down, sterile, emotionally, you know, drained environment. And she just like brings li like that pilot. She really just like brings life to the whole family. Everyone is suddenly like, you know, perked up and up on their toes. And as the show goes on and this has to do more with pressure from the network than anything else, it 
it really becomes a will they won't they with Fran and Mr. Yeah. Sheffield. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it that, you know, the kids kind of they're there, but they stay into the background a little more as as the years go on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the show definitely the show definitely takes a turn somewhere through the middle of the third season where it's less about her like raising these children because also the kids grow up pretty quickly, you know. By season one, they're not like babies. And then by season three, they're all like teenagers almost, except for like maybe the youngest who's like 12. So it's also like, you know, what what is she really what is she really doing there at a certain point? But but then it does become about, you know, she has feelings for him and he has feelings for her, but neither one wants to say it. And and it's this whole push pull. Uh yeah. Right. Yeah. So it started as a family sitcom, right? Like sort of mm -hmm. in the like it could have been on TGIF maybe, or maybe, I guess it was a little too weird for TGIF, but like there was that era where there were many sitcoms that were f for like the whole family to watch together and also yeah, like about a, a family. Like a step-by-step, -step, you yes. know? Yes. Yeah. This was definitely an 8, 8 p.m. time slot show. This wasn't like a 9 p.m. edgier married with children type show. This is a, this is a, this is a, a prime time, like 8 p.m. time slot. Everyone sits down and watches the nanny. It's very wholesome. You know, sometimes they'll they'll do like risque jokes, but they're still like pretty wholesome. I mean, but with the episode we just watched today, which is like in the middle of the third season, very inappropriate for for small sure. children. So definitely, yeah, the tone progresses too, mm -hmm. and the the tone also progressed in terms of just kind of silliness. And I think in a really good way. Um, we keep joking that like this almost is like a precursor for things that you later saw on like Scrubs. Or yeah. you even later, even later saw him like Family Guy, uh, yeah. honestly. Or Thirty Rock. Yeah, in terms of like absurdism is part of it. Yeah, by like mid third season, they start to just really kind of insert like they'll do cutaways, or she'll like have a thought, and then like a thought balloon will show up on the side of her head with like someone <laughs> in it, and uh -huh. she'll have a fantasy sequence, and and that doesn't that's not really present in the first two seasons. It's much more straightforward, like it's a comedy it's a three camera sitcom and mm -hmm. and then it starts to it stays three cameras but it does start to just do more and i that's probably both like boredom on the writer's part and also budget increase where it's like well we could do you know oh i mean every sitcom does that right oh they go to disneyland they go to france in this episode they yeah. you know that's the one where they're all on a cruise ship for no reason but it also i think does speak to the there's just the creative staff because there's lots of sitcoms at this time that had bigger budgets, probably had writers rooms that were bored, but they didn't really go in this direction. Like we literally just last week watched their animated Christmas special. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, was it in the same style as the opening credits? Yes, it was. It was. And there was a talking dog and they yeah. turned um, Cece into Cece, the abominable Babcock. And so so Cece, so that there's, so you have like Fran and you have Mr. Sheffield, the, the, you know, the father of the house, and then he's got three children and then he has a butler named Niles and Mr. Sheffield works as a uh, Broadway producer. And so his uh, partner in, in his production company is this woman named Cece Babcock, who is initially sort of introduced as maybe his like love interest, but she's not fun you know she it almost feels like they were originally setting her up to be like the sort of evil stepmom that might come into these kids lives mm -hmm. she's like not fun she doesn't care about the kids she's the butt of a lot of jokes um about how like you know pitiful her love life is 
Um, but then as the show kind of goes on, it's like very clear that there's nothing ever going to happen between the two of them. There's no real chemistry and like all his chemistry is with Fran. Um, so then she's just sort of like great comic relief. She's very, very funny. Um, and and she, she that that character, the butler, will play off each other a lot. They, they have like a good, you know, classic sitcom. They 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 love to hate each other relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. She's, she's sort of the comic villain. And or, or like often the butt of the jokes. Um, yes. Okay. And then yeah, and Niles is the butler. I guess it, I I'd forgotten that his name was Niles. It's somewhat confusing because he is sort of vaguely similar to Niles from Frasier. Niles, Niles Crane. Like yeah. a, a feat, sort of like cultured. Although <laughs> the, the the actor is older and British, or at least I, I don't know if he actually is British, but I assume he's actually British. Um, no, actually Daniel Davies is from the south. Oh, okay. Uh, he's so he's not British. Well, he does a convincing British accent, at least. Yes. Me as a child um very yep. good yeah oh, it's 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 impeccable even now i forget that he's not british so the joke this is a little we we always say we are now completely inaccessible to people because we know so much about the nanny and we can't <laughs> even have we can't even have a normal conversation about it anymore to outsiders but basically it's kind of funny because the guy who plays mr sheffield charles shaughnessy really is british mm-hmm. and daniel davies who plays niles is not but initially they used to get all these letters um saying how horrible Charles Shaughnessy's fake British accent was and that he should learn <laughs> from his co-star Daniel Davies, who's clearly really British, but it was actually the opposite in real life. <laughs> okay, that's funny. And and it's it's heightened in a way that I don't know, wouldn't it's particularly to the era, I guess. I don't know. But it's it's like, wouldn't it often like there'd be a joke and then people would be like, ooh, in the audience? Like it was sort yes. of that. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's definitely that error. It's it's taped in front of a live studio audience. They pause for in fact when we watched the animated Christmas special, we both sort of commented that it was weird to see an episode of the show in the cadence of the show with no laugh track. Like mm. it feels weird. You're mm-hmm. like, like I, I need I need the comfort of like someone else going, ah that was right. <laughs> right. There's a there's a famous clip where someone removed the laugh track from a scene from um big bang theory i think (laughs) you know it's very odd because they tell this joke it's not very funny but then they're like waiting for like five seconds (laughs) you know sort of frozen while the audience laughs or the laugh track is played or something and then they say the reply um yeah it's like garfield without garfield (laughs) (laughs) okay so what was your association with the show before you started the podcast like did you did you watch it when it was first on did you have fond memories of it or or I, I I think it was almost exactly as you described, Aria. Like, I, I remember watching it. Like, I, I had an idea of the characters. I definitely knew the theme song. But I also don't think I could have told you, like, a single plot line of one episode. Like, that, you know, it was mm-hmm. something that was in my childhood. I knew who Fran Drescher was. But it, there were other sitcoms that I could completely access, like, in terms of, like, what was happening, what was happening every season. And this was not one of them. Mm-hmm. I'm a couple years older than Toria, so I had a more like I I just remember I watched I definitely watched this show with like my mom, like mm-hmm. every every episode that came out I watched it. It was just on, and and this was like part of our whatever night it aired. This was part of our like oh yeah that's the nanny night you know, <laughs> um and, and it, it, was, just, it was on CBS right? It was on CBS mm-hmm. yeah yeah and we were a big sitcom family we watched you know I mean Family Ties I think was the first sitcom I ever got into 
And then we watched, you know, uh, Who's the Boss and Growing Pains and all the TGIF shows. So we we were like a big sitcom, sit around the TV, you know, from like eight to nine and watch, you know, shows and, until it was bedtime family. So, right. Um, yeah. And I'm so, remembering yeah. like, I think other CBS shows, I mean, maybe I'm getting the network wrong, but sort of from this era, there were shows like Major Dad and Evening yep. Shade. And, That's and right. design, maybe Designing Women, was that CBS? Um, I think it was. But yeah, so sort of like, for some reason, I really liked Major Dad. I, I, I'm not quite sure why, but that is a similar, because <laughs> he's a widower also, I think. Uh, there's a vague similarity there. Um, I guess there's a lot of widowers in sitcoms from the 80s and 90s. Um, but I had this, like, the family aspect, and then, like, sort of a, a straight man, and then, like, wacky outsiders. But um, let's talk about the show's Jewishness. Jewishness. Yes. And, um... So I had this conversation with Jason Zinneman, who's the comedy critic for the New York Times a couple months ago, and he wrote this interesting article about Jewish humor during a time when anti-Semitism has returned in, mm. in various ways where it didn't before. And he noted that there was like a, a long stretch of time, like most of the, maybe the entirety of the 80s, where there wasn't a sitcom with a Jewish actor playing a Jewish character in the lead. And then, yeah, Seinfeld was, at the time, was, like, even though when you we, we watch early Seinfeld now, like, it's mentioned that Jerry is Jewish, but, like, there were fears that, like, Seinfeld was too Jewish from the get-go, or maybe just too New York. Um, but, like, Fran's Jewishness is so much more central uh, yeah, to the show really than is. maybe any other show before, or possibly, maybe not since, I don't know. But, um, yeah, how does that play in the 2020s? I mean, well, it's also interesting because just to add to that, because I listened to that episode um, of yours. And one thing that I thought was interesting was when you guys mentioned that even now it's not necessarily common for actual Jewish women to play or actresses to play Jewish characters right, like the right. Scarlett Johansson and the Natalie Portman's and, um, and Fran is a Jewish woman playing a Jewish woman who is unapologetically Jewish. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think now, I mean, this is going to intersect with a lot of things that we have learned since delving into this show and its fan base. Um, this show has a really, really large following in, um, the gay male community. Like there's a lot of like grown gay men who were like, I am so thrilled that this is back, but this is on HBO because this show spoke to me so much when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of it is because they they recognize Fran Drescher as being like out and proud, and um, very progressive. You know, Fran. Well, yeah, they're, they're, that that yeah. as well. Yes, because um, the show the show has a lot of elements, um, or or sort of like secret hidden elements that were really almost. Uh, we always joke. I say like it's a positive dog whistle. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is. Because, you know, it's like a character will be gay and that won't be like the whole plot of the episode or that won't be the joke won't be that the guy's gay. Um, it'll just be kind of like brushed past and just a part of who that is. And, and right. which and, was super progressive for the for the 90s, you know, for mid 90s. Yeah. It just I mean, this was this was I mean, there's a couple of things contextually to keep in mind is like one Ellen had just come out as gay on her TV show somewhere in this same era. And it was like the biggest deal ever. Yeah. That was like 98, um, 99, I guess mm -hmm. when that happened. And so this is, this is, this show starts, you know, in 94. So this is 
pre even that and they're just like low-key bringing gay characters on and they're like oh yeah that guy's a gay guy all right moving on like you know like toria described they they don't make it a plot point it's just a thing that exists um and then the other thing contextually to keep in mind is the show's co-creator uh peter mark jacobs is fran's husband at the time and then they divorce and he comes out as gay so so now you look back at the show and you go, oh, so yes, on the surface, it's this Jewish lady writing about her Jewish lady experiences and being playing very Jewish on the show. And, and that's sort of, I think, the net that like Tori and I like fell into. But then there's this whole other subtextual layer to everything happening that, you know, I didn't pick up on, Tori didn't pick up on until we read about it years later in, <laughs> in rewatching the show that like, Oh, this was like a show like written by a gay man, essentially. It was a it was a gay man writing this show. He he didn't he wasn't out yet, you know, he hadn't discovered that, I guess, you know, uh, uh or, or certainly not publicly. Um, and a lot of that gets infused into just the way the show talks about LGBTQ issues and gayness and you know, the a lot of things that would have normally been the butt of the joke on sitcoms at the time are just talked about in a way that's like, yeah, that's a thing that is a that we accept and whatever, you know. Yeah, so. I, and then I tying it back to the thread of of how the Jewishness plays today. I I honestly I'm just like constantly impressed. I think I'm constantly like, wow, I don't think this show was appreciated for what it was doing nearly as much as it should have been at the time. Um, and that's why I say like we we kind of have very unironically gotten into this ironic experience <laughs> because, um, you know, you look back at a lot of other sitcoms and some of them, you know, that have more of that, um, you know, like the friends or whatever. And, and they weren't really doing any of that stuff. Um, no, and, and I'll go one step further and say, I don't know that there's another show since this show that has really done this with a Jewish main character. Like I, I can't think of another show that's embraced the Jewishness of its main character in such an accepted and mainstream way, you know, because even like like Friends is a great example, right? Like they had Ross and he's a Jewish guy, but it's like always played as kind of just like a joke, you know, it's kind of, it's a bit when it, when it, when it is brought up, which is rare, it's like, oh, the Hanukkah armadillo or. Yeah, the, you know, their Jewishness, I mean, because of course Monica is Ross's sibling, their mm-hmm. Jewishness sort of comes and goes and is never like a key no. plot point. And there's a, there was an episode where all the NBC shows had a blackout on Bussy TV and yeah. and Joey finds a menorah and he says, yeah. Chandler, you used to have a Jewish roommate. And that's like the punchline. He walks in with like a menorah with all the candles lit during the blackout where, you know, whereas seemingly from the beginning, you know, um, the green siblings were were Jewish. But yeah. And then one of the links you sent me, Toria, had a was a video essay about the the, the gay themes in the show. And they contrasted what you were talking about, sort of like treating gay people with acceptance with a scene um, that also involves a nanny where Ross and Rachel are interviewing a nanny. This must have been late in the series. So this was like after 2000 um, yeah. when they had a kid. And I think it's Freddie Prince Jr. who is playing this role as the, <laughs> as the male nanny. And he's talking okay. about like basically how sensitive he is and how sensitive he is to children. And then Ross is like, you're not gay, are you? And like, that's the punchline. <laughs> Um, yeah, right. yeah, so, mm-hmm. and that would have mm-hmm. been like f- at least five years later. Um, yeah. you know, so it is interesting 
to see that that was sort of like the fr- the friends clip was sort of the norm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and you know, even in watching this show now, you know, through 2022 lenses, I still am very like Tori said, I'm in, uh, incredibly impressed with how much the show continues and always has it just embraced this character's, you know, heritage. Like, you know, and again, it's not I, would I have liked to have seen a Hanukkah episode instead of an animated Christmas episode? Sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, she's still on CBS and, she, you know, uh, Christmas is still Christmas, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, but but it's there. It's it's intrinsically there. I think even in that animated episode, there's mention of, like, her being Jewish, you know, and, and it not mattering. Like, because yeah. Christmas is still fun for her. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from that perspective, I don't know that it's I, – I genuinely can't think of a show that has really positioned its lead character in the same in, in the same light. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, may, maybe Broad City, possibly. Um, maybe. Also, That's true. Yeah. Maybe about Broad Jewish City. women in New York. Um, yeah, that's true. But that, but you know, that premiered in like 2014 or something. So yeah, way later, exactly. And and that you know, not to knock that show, I love Broad City, but it's also a cable show. It's not. It wasn't. I mean, you know, and 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 the whole landscape at that point had changed. Also, there was there was something significant about you know 1993 where there wasn't really that many cable alternatives. You know, you still had your big three networks. Yeah. And the fact that this woman had this kind of representation on on one of the big three networks is is major. It's, yeah. a, it's a big deal. And, and CBS was sort of I mean, I think it still is now, but it was sort of like the stodgy, like more conservative yeah. of the big three or big four at that point. I mean, maybe yep. I mean, ABC was very it wasn't owned by Disney yet, but it was still they had TJF and they had like the family friendly stuff. But yeah. CBS was like, I don't know, I think it just seemed like, you know, it wasn't yeah, doing ed- edgy stuff. <laughs> generally whereas like cbs is like discount sitcoms yeah (laughs) yes but i I will say like there's something at play to all of this that's very it's i'm trying to find the best way to articulate it i like i think like it's very progressive and it's really amazing that she got on the air but there's also this weird intersection of like a more layered, I think, anti-Semitism and sexism that almost maybe even allowed it to happen because she comes in and the whole point is, I think she's playing big stereotype at first in some ways. She's really not. Like when you actually are watching it, you realize she's three-dimensional, she's compassionate, she's generous, she's loyal, she's all these wonderful things. But almost like to sell that and to like get it through, she had to rely on being like, a big character mm-hmm. and you know her mom is big character and and relying on definitely there are like jewish stereotypes within this show but then you know you watch it and you end up falling in love with her and there's all of these other things to fall in love with and she's like very human and by the same token the fact that she's a beautiful woman like i think maybe also makes this more palatable to you know these yeah. execs at cbs i don't know if they could have done like you know, the Frank fine version of this where, you know, he's a super Jewish guy who, you know, um, who, you know, right. Because what happened when when you transferred this level of, of, of Jewishness to a male character, they automatically like default to Woody Allen is what happens. Like if this had been a male character, it would have just been Woody Allen Jew. It would have been like, Oh my God, uh," you know, and, and she does get to have a little bit more, 
you know, she lives outside of the stereotype a little bit more because she has such a big personality herself. She doesn't just become a stereotypical Jewish lady on this show. You know, her mom, yeah. if anything, is more portrayed like that. Yeah, but I also sort of, and that's all to say that, you know, I don't think CBS is going to be greenlighting a show that was sort of like, you know, just regular family that happened to be Jewish. Like Agreed. the Hulk had to be, sometimes she is the butt of the joke when she is certain jokes or certain situations. It's like, I mean, how many times have we clocked at this point? She's making jokes about um, Jewish people's digestive issues and things like yeah. that, or like, yeah. you know, no, that's, like IBS. And... That's a fair point. It It, it is... Yeah, that, that's a very fair point. She she does um, she does Im, Im, embody a lot of stereotypes, but I I mean I don't know I but it's also like you know we talk about this often, which is like there's it's stereotypes, but like she hasn't said anything that that we don't relate <laughs> yes. to. Yes, we've you all know? been like oh yeah, we've all been like oh god, like that hit too close to home. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen anything like it's, it's uh -huh. stereotype. It's so interesting because there are definitely stereotypes that are offensive and there's ways to address stereotypes that I find very offensive. But then also the thing about stereotypes is like a lot of them are true. And so I really think it's how you address it, you know, um, and who's addressing it. I, I very much think like anyone is allowed to talk about their thing. And in, in as much or as stereotypical detail as they would like to, it's when you start to venture outside of that and you start pointing out the stereotypes of, of other people's races or, you know, whatever, sexual preferences, whatever it is, that's where it starts to get like, all right, well, but that's not your experience. Now you're just like saying what you think you see, you know? Mm -hmm. um, are there jokes either about the Jewish characters or about other characters that, like get a laugh in 1994 but today you're kind of like oh they because when you rewatch Seinfeld or Friends there are definitely jokes like that where you're like oh they the, you know there are definitely things that we discuss that don't fully hold up um I'm trying to think of like a great example I don't think anything about the Jewish experience um uh, we were we were discussing the very casual use of the word slave recently in one of the episodes yeah there are there are jokes in this that definitely don't work anymore but i don't think we've found one yet specifically that's like based in or around like jewishness like we haven't we haven't hit one that i've, I've cringed at going like oof wow that just sounds insulting and i think part <laughs> of that is just because like she was a jewish lady and she was writing this she wasn't gonna put something on the air that a jewish person found offensive mm -hmm. you know um but like yeah there's there are definitely jokes uh, that don't land. There's race jokes that sometimes don't land. There are certain turns of phrase that don't land that that we go like, ooh, that doesn't that doesn't play anymore. Um, I think there's been some like a salty type humor that like we've kind of been like, ooh, that doesn't that doesn't work. Can't joke about that anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, um, none of it stands out to me as like, oh my god, I can't believe this show went there. It all just feels like, yeah, that's how. That's what was it was acceptable at the time to talk like this. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I think one of the one of the examples we first started noticing is uh, in the first couple episodes they keep talking about like um, or, like Oriental makeup or something like that. You know, like yeah, yeah, you know, using the the phrase like you know Oriental. Mm -hmm. I think came up a few times. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but nothing. I feel like they use the term Indians in like a way that you would say Native American now. Like it's yeah. stuff like that. But mm -hmm. and again, it's all stuff that like they would have had to be time travelers right to know 
oh, this is not going to play in 20 years, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. like no one, I mean, it just wasn't, it wasn't in the cultural zeitgeist yet to, to be like that, you mm-hmm. know? Now, one thing that I sort of remembered of what I thought of it when I was a kid was thinking that the dad, Mr. Sheffield was much older <laughs> and I guess he has like a gray streak in his hair. Yeah. And, and, and when you're 10 years old, I guess it's hard to judge any adult's age, but she, she was younger and, and he sort of like, well, I mean, how does that, how does that angle play? Uh, well, play I mean, now? they're not that different in age. I, I, the angle plays differently for me as an adult for the reasons you're saying is just because like when I was young and watching the show, he was like the oldest possible man outside <laughs> of like being a grandpa. Um, and and now when we watch it and they mention that he's like forty three, I'm like shit. I'm forty one. Because <laughs> is is it, is he isn't he sort of portrayed as being like stodgy, like he like you know they need they need this youthful energy and this sort of this manic energy of a friend yeah. to come in. So he's sort of like out of touch and doesn't know how to relate to the kids and stuff. Um. Yes. And actually, I I think I. <laughs> it just reminded me. I like we were just saying. You know, there's really nothing that like doesn't play today. Um. You know, when you get into like the power dynamic of like, okay, she lives in this house, she works for this man, and there's clearly an attraction there. Um, there's definitely jokes where we've been like, oh god, there's definitely not an HR department in this workplace. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, you know, like like you know, Mr. Sheffield or Niles or someone will basically be like, hey, nice ass. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. She'll joke. she'll come downstairs sometimes and he'll be like, Miss Fine, that dress <laughs> is ravishing on you, and you're like. Dude, that's your employee. Just say you look nice in the dress. Like you don't have <laughs> to tell don't, her. Or don't. Or, or don't. Say yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that one really depends on like your relationship. But, but like ravishing seems like a step too far. <laughs> I mean, you know, stuff like that doesn't really play. He's an interesting character because he's simultaneously portrayed as like slightly stodgy and out of touch, but also the world's biggest man child. Like he's, he's such a baby, you know, Hmm. I I guess more in like a, he's raised with a silver spoon and he just doesn't know anything kind of way. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, we've also talked about that as something that like, does that really translate to 2022? Because like, they're literally like, you know, the top 1% um, as a family. And we're like, how do we feel about them now? (laughs) Exactly. They're they're, like exorbitantly wealthy and um, the children are literally like trust fun kids and acknowledge as such like they there's a lot of like you know we're very rich you know lines like we don't have to worry about anything because we're like super hella rich um (laughs) and like that you know it plays very differently now for sure aren't the kids almost always wearing like prep school uniforms Mm -hmm. yes that was another thing i sort of that struck Mm me um as as a kid also is they're always like the little boy is like wearing like a you know, like a blazer or something. Always. Yeah. And, like, um, and, and the age difference thing, you know, she's 32 in this show. There's a lot of jokes about how she wishes she was still in her 20s and they talk about how she's so old, but she's mm. like 32 mm-hmm. and he's like 42 or 43. So mm-hmm. it's like their age difference is not, I mean, I don't know. That's not that bad. It's 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. That's fine. She's a perfectly acceptable age for a 42-year-old <laughs> right. divorced dad to be dating a 32-year-old lady. Right. You know, she's not like 20 and out of college. But it's interesting. It is interesting how there are so many jokes on the show about like, you know, you're old and you're gonna die alone and childless, Fran. You know, like, mm-hmm. 
and it's like she's only 32 she's got time so much time right and she like looks amazing you know <laughs> yeah, she looks 24 <laughs> she looks incredible um and it's like they're like oh you're all old and dry it up you better get a husband quick lady and it's like that's not how the world works anymore at all so that's also very interesting from a modern perspective mm-hmm. uh, i guess something else the show is famous for is like the outfits and the fashion that fran wore did she wear like a different outfit in every scene or um or at least there were re- you know repeats in the episode like they they would reuse um certain pieces for sure because we actually we've done a bunch of deep dives at this point into into that because now a lot of these styles and fashions and looks have circled back um and now like there's all these instagram accounts that are like you know the fran fine appreciation and fran's fashion you know obsessed and all of this um we actually were just talking about this this morning their costume designer was a woman named brenda cooper she won an emmy for it at the time um even though fran drescher was often featured on like worst dress list (laughs) um but now we're always like well they have the last laugh because um now a lot of those same outfits and looks are very either very in style or people you know talk about how like fantastic they were um and uh, because, you know, it is a sitcom and they do, you know, for budgetary reasons, often reuse certain pieces. Like you will see her every now and then in like the same kind of just like fantastic getup or actually mm-hmm. sometimes other characters will be wearing sort of iterations of like that same blazer, but with like a different bottom. Um, but yeah, the the style is also something that like really has come into focus. Um, I think the last year and a half or two years as I started streaming again, um, People were like, even sometimes we'll talk about this and we'll be like, it's so funny. What she's wearing right now is so on trend right now, 30 years later. So from today's vantage point, like the the costumes or the outfits that she wears mostly like seem cool or. Yeah, I mean, they're like um, Sean's fiance also because of this project has to watch a lot of the nanny too because it's just <laughs> on when you know he's watching it doesn't she often will be like that's awesome like i want yeah. that um outfit yeah i i think that the fashion has a hundred percent swung back around you know we were just watching an episode where they were talking about fran's ugly garish purse which in the intervening years since the show aired uh became like a highly valued like collector's item purse and like Amy Winehouse was like famously photographed holding it and hers sold for like $150,000. So, and it's like the exact same purse that like (laughs) Fran has in this episode that the whole plot of the episode is like how ugly this purse is and how everyone (laughs) makes fun of this ugly purse. So yeah, the fashion has a hundred percent come back around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So two of the characters that we mentioned, well, okay. I I want to briefly mention CC and Niles and what what you think of those characters but do the do the kids is there anything interesting about the kids like because like I said I even remember nope. how many of them there were <laughs> I think I had a crush on the older daughter but I didn't remember like the middle child at all like is there anything interesting there or should we move on to um, Niles um, and Cece I mean you know the, there's the youngest child starts very in, in a very interesting place she's sort of written as this wise beyond her years child who's been like in therapy for a long time and like you know this was this was the mid 90s so like a kid in therapy was like hilarious like you know <laughs> right. she's talking about like you know uh, letting go of your inner child and you know they give her a lot of those kinds of lines that like the whole joke is like what how does a kid know about this <laughs> emotional intelligence this is wacky 
and that plays for like the first season and then that kind of drops and like honestly yeah i don't know i mean toria you 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 are a little softer on this than i am i think all of the kids are just kind of the same kid basically <laughs> no well i i think one thing that's interesting uh, we talk about this a lot in terms of just what has happened um to the political landscape um the sheffields are are republicans and they're like you know it's it's like mentioned and it's you know kind of sometimes a joke because fran is a very liberal jewish uh lady but that's that's it like that's all the, it's not it's not like this big uh like line in the sand it's not like um they're you should like them or dislike them either way um and i'm like wow that, that would never happen now like you would you would never um probably a have these like really likable, lovable characters on a network sitcom be Republicans in the same <laughs> I mean, don't um, forget, like, that used to be the, I mean, I, I brought up Family Ties earlier, and that show is very famously, like, the most popular character on Family Ties was Michael J. Fox's character, and, like, that was, like, his big breakout moment, and, like, Alex P. Keaton, that character was just like a young Republican. Like that was the whole thing about him. Is like yeah. his, the whole plot plot of that show is like he is a young yuppie raised by two hippie parents, and like the hippies are the butt of the joke. Oh, you, they're like oh love and fucking recycling <laughs> and like you know save the environment and don't be a capitalist pig. And he's like you idiots. Like I'm gonna make a million dollars on Wall Street. And like that was the he was the breakout character. So them being Republicans is not that weird for the 90s because it's like, yeah, sure, they were rich and Republican and, you know, they weren't like weirdo liberals, you know? <laughs> but they also weren't weirdo tea partiers either. Like, no. now there's just- Well, like, they, yeah, they live a... in a, you know, they live in a city, obviously, and mm -hmm. they're very wealthy. Yeah, I'm trying to think like who, like what is, you know, maybe characters on like Gossip Girl or something would be- an analog in some way or like jack I, donaghy on um on 30 jack, rock jack donaghy is probably the closest it's this fiscal republican it's the fiscal conservative archetype that uh, kind of like died in like 2014 when the tea party took over the entire republican party but um, i would say though the difference is like for jack donaghy that that is a huge part of the joke of his character is his politics um or are his politics what's noteworthy about the sheffields is it's it's something about them and every night it comes up once or twice in a joke, but it's by no means like a defining characteristic of who they are. It, uh, people don't really seem to care either way. Cause I'm, you know, viewers didn't really care either way. It was, it was a time when I think both parties were much more moderate. So I, I always think it's interesting in, in that time capsule aspect of like, Oh yeah. Remember when, <laughs> uh, we used to be able to relate to other people like that. Um, totally. Absolutely. Does does Trump either make a cameo appearance as he did in, in numerous 90s sitcoms or is he mentioned ever in oh the show? Oh my God. He's mentioned yes. at All least. The time. Yes. I would say like at least every month, every four episodes. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, because they're, you know, don't forget, they're like rich uh, upper class New Yorkers in the 90s. So Trump was, that was that whole socialite scene. And in fact, there's a joke in like the first season about how the oldest daughter wasn't allowed to go to Ivanka's 16th birthday party or something. Um, <laughs> so it's very much like, yeah, that, that would have been their peer group. Like that would, that like I, Ivanka and, and, and the girl on this show, like they would have been peers. They would mm -hmm. have been in the same prep school together and going to the same, you know, uh, uh what's that fancy place? Everyone go the Hamptons, the same Hampton. <laughs> parties. 
it's uh yeah that's uh, another weird <laughs> time capsule aspect of of any 90s culture when trump had this you know just turned himself into like the equivalent of like rich guy um yeah. is the show in any way like a precursor to sex in the city mm, i would say you mean in terms of well you have a young uh, i mean a woman in her 30s you have crazy costumes it is set in new york and then you yeah. know um there's someone who's falling in love with a, a much wealthier uh, man i feel like oh, yeah. this is so hard for me to say because i hate sex and city so much i <laughs> i would have to say no i i don't think i don't think there's much connecting dna other than like the the very surface things like you know oh they're in new york and she's a lady and she dresses in fashion mm -hmm. you know but like this show at no point is exploring sexuality at all. Like it doesn't, it doesn't explore what it's like to be a single woman in any real way. Like all of her escapades are really like relegated to what's happening in the house and the family dynamic. There's mm -hmm. there, you know, even when she does date, it's not like, it's not like, um, it's not like they're like, oh, let's use this episode to talk about like what it was like to be single in the nineties and dating. It's more like, She's dating so that Mr. Sheffield can get upset that she has a date <laughs> so that he can be confronted with maybe how he feels about her. Mm -hmm. Right, Toria? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are there shows that you think are indebted to the nanny or was it just sort of like a weird one-off that, and that, that's maybe why it was sort of semi-forgotten by, by the culture? I think... I mean, but we were when we mentioned earlier, like Scrubs, for example, there was actually uh, a, one of the writers who only lasted, I think, an episode or two in the nanny writers' room went on to create Scrubs. Yeah, hmm. Bill Lawrence. Uh, uh, Bill Lawrence famously worked uh, like half of a season and was told, like, it's just not really working out. Like your tone and our tone doesn't really match up. And then when we talked to the co-creator, the nanny, uh, I asked about about Bill Lawrence and and. It was very much like, yeah, look, that guy's very, very talented. And we had a lot of people coming out of the room, you know? So, so I think that, that it, if anything, it, it, it was useful as a place for, you know, someone like Bill Lawrence to realize like, oh, this is not what I want to be doing. Like, this is not the tone that I want. Um, I, yeah. And I don't know that it, I think, I think you're right. I think part of the reason why it sort of got kind of pushed under the rug and forgotten is because there wasn't really anything about it that it's not like the nanny walked so someone else could run <laughs> kind of situation, mm -hmm. you know, um, it, it really isn't. Uh, and, and again, I think that, that, that is also, you know, part of the reason is because, you know, I don't, I don't know that we've had another Jewish female led show. That's just about like this lady, you know, there's like a Jewish woman doing Jewish women stuff mm -hmm. that doesn't really happen uh, too right. often. You know, and even Broad City is so far removed. I mean, it's not a sitcom. You know, it's not a three camera. It's single. It's just like, I don't know where the. Yes. Is it possible that some of those younger creators watched this show and look at Fran as an icon? That is probably the closest that you'll get DNA's DNA wise. Well, and also, um, what uh, I'm blanking on the woman's name. She's doing the nanny musical. She did. Um, oh, Rachel. Um, uh, yes, Rachel. The, the lady from um, uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah. I, I guess oh, Bloom. Bloom. Rachel, Rachel Bloom. Rachel Bloom. Rachel yeah. Bloom, yeah. Rachel so Bloom. Rachel Bloom is working with Fran Drescher and Peter Mark Jacob to create the Nanny Musical on Broadway. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, and she had this really lovely um, like little homage to the Nanny when it was announced that she was collaborating, and she was basically like, you know, 
this was the first time I like ever saw a Jewish woman on TV mm-hmm. who kind of said things the way my family says things, you know, hearing Yiddish. And she's like, this was like very important for me at, uh, growing up. And she's like, so I'm, I'm so, so thrilled to be a part of this. Who knows if that's true? <laughs> maybe, maybe she just said it because those are the things you have to say when you get chosen to yeah. do these important musicals. No, but but, but uh, yeah, it, it seemed genuine. And um, so, you know, I think, I think who knows how many people out there are actually like, oh yeah, I actually have such an affinity for that show. Yeah. Um, and it made me, you know, go down this particular path because, you know, Fran Drescher resonated with me so much. Yeah, I, I, I think that's probably highly likely. I think there are a lot of young Jewish women who grew up watching this, you know, or young, like our age, grew up watching this and were like, yeah, cool. So I can do that too then. You know, uh, I can go be I can be a nanny and Mary Rich as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, yeah, that, that's where I think probably the the, the closest uh, a link would be is just in in how Fran as a as a person, you know, and, a, and an actress kind of inspired a comedic actress inspired a lot of uh, women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so can we briefly talk about Niles and how Niles plays and what like th- that's. I remember that being a str- somewhat strange character and it's almost like <laughs> a character who doesn't really need to be there. Be- yeah. Like for the plot to work, like why is there? Well, even weirder, he has been with the Sheffield since Mr. Sheffield was born. So he's like 10 years older than Mr. Sheffield, but basically kind of like raised him. <laughs> yeah. It's a very strange relationship that starts to get set up over the course of the series where you realize like, Oh, cause there's definitely, there's so it's a like whole a Downton episode. Abbey sort of thing almost. Of like yeah. The there's family. a whole episode about how like his dad was the Sheffield's Butler, you know, Niles, dad was the Sheffield's Butler. And then like, Niles just took over his dad's job at a certain point and continued to be the Sheffield's butler. It's it's really weird. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I don't know that I would say the character is expendable because he's very, very funny. So you would definitely lose a lot if you like deleted all of his scenes mm-hmm. and just watched the show like that, I think you'd be missing a considerable amount of some of the funniest moments of the show. He's such a talented actor that everything they give him to do is great. You know, mm-hmm. um, he really makes himself intrinsic to the cast in that way, which is pretty common on sitcoms. I feel like you start with like a kind of blank template when you write a sitcom and then you let the actors sort of dictate how much of a role they have as things move on, you know? Right. But yeah, but he would, I mean, he would often like get the punchlines or have, you know, like make, make the like cutting remark or something. And then mm-hmm. in one of the pieces, um, reflecting on what it was like as a young gay boy watching this show, there was like, whether he, like the character was queer or not was sort of a, a possible subtext or. So honestly, had they ever gone in that direction, I think that would have been fantastic because they sort of they shoehorn in a romance between Niles and Cece as things wrap up in later years. Oh, really? Years. Okay. Yeah, which kind of you know even even the actor Daniel Davies was like you know I never felt that was earned. I didn't love it. It didn't really make sense. But I think you know Niles having that um you know he's very he's very salty i would say (laughs) you know like that's the best way to describe him he's He's very salty and he's very sassy and he's very quick and you know they never went 
that far. Um, I would say it's to like imply that. Um, and in fact, it's usually some, I think Sean, that's actually an interesting thing because um, we always talk about how we hate it when you get what we call pervy Niles, because yes. <laughs> sometimes the writers will use him to, to make like jokes about him basically being horny and we hate it. We think it's like, we're like, we love Niles. We think Niles is hilarious, but we don't want those jokes coming out of his mouth. We don't like it when he's that, that version yeah. of yours. And it's maybe it's almost because like, we don't see him as a man who's like, you know, a horn dog for women. Like that just doesn't uh, work. Yeah. Really it's, with it's the characters never portrayed that way until he is. And it is always jarring. You know, it's like there's nothing else about this character that would give you that sense. And then all of a sudden he'll say something like, you know, some double entendre or he'll make some like weird comment about how someone looks. And it's it's just to have a joke in the scene. But it's like, why would he say that? Why is <laughs> but, he saying this? Yeah, but that's an interesting point. I hadn't even read that, that there was, you know, speculation that like, oh, there's subtext that he's a queer character. And I think that would have played so much better than when they try to, you know, shove a Victoria's Secret catalog in his hand and yeah. say he's going to be in the bathroom a while. Like, I just, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I, I mean, I actually think the beginning, the first season, half of the first season, it's kind of ambiguous if he's straight or not. And then it becomes like they wanted to keep it ambiguous because maybe they weren't sure. And then they were like, yeah, it's fine. Let's just have him be straight. Hmm. It'll be fun. It'll be easier for us. Or maybe know? there was a network note or something. Or that. Yeah. Or yeah. it was like, hey, we don't we don't want this guy to be gay. He's like in the house with the kids and that makes us uncomfortable. <laughs> so, you know, no, you know. Yeah. So make him really horny for women. And exactly. So we know he's be okay to be around. That, that was actually um, I, I think in one of our earlier season episode sean that was your exact point where you're like i feel like the network was like he can't be gay no we have to ratchet this up like so and that's yeah. where all these like out of nowhere just like weird lecherous comments yeah or or yeah exactly like like he was very much just pansexual and it didn't matter and then someone somewhere <laughs> commented is that guy gay and the network was like hey we need to prove that this guy is not a gay character so in the next episode, he's looking at a Victoria's Secret magazine and he makes a joke about how the pages are stuck together. And it's like, what the hell? Why is the butler jerking off to Victoria's Secret? What's happening? He's an adult. He's allowed to leave the house, right? Like, Yeah. Um, okay, we've gone longer than I thought we would. I guess obviously this is a deep topic and you guys There's are doing so much to talk about. episode by episode. And so you're about halfway done with, with the series? Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. We are halfway through the third season, and there's six seasons total. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, anything else you want to add about either the nanny or Oh Mr. Sheffield the podcast before we wrap up? Um, definitely go rewatch it if this is if this has been intriguing to you, whether you used to watch it or not. Listen to the podcast, and also yeah. I realized we should have said this. Yes, my name is Sheffield, but no oh, yeah. relation. Just complete coincidence. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the fact that Toria Sheffield is hosting a show called Oh, Mr. Sheffield about the Sheffields, just completely coincidental. Yes. Yeah. And, okay. and, like, and wildly unfortunate. And my, this is also a real quick fun thing. My father was an English widower who married my mother, who was a Jewish woman from New York. Yeah. I became the stepmom of two. But again, uh, not an autobiographical series. <laughs> completely cool. Yes, okay. I remember from the first episode of your show, I remember um, yeah. you talked about that. That is a strange coincidence. Did you, well, Tori, did you watch this when you were a kid? And was it like, 
was there an extra like frisson or something that they kept on saying your last name i it that happens to me now like they'll they'll say sheffield sheffield and i'll also, every now and then in certain contexts like that, you know, when you hear your own name getting called, like whatever happens in your brain will turn on, but yeah. mostly I'm numb to it now, but it does happen sometimes. <laughs> right. Okay. So the links to the show will be in the show notes or people can just search, oh, Mr. Sheffield. And then there's an Instagram account. Yeah. Go to, uh, oh, Mr. Chef pod on Instagram or Twitter. <laughs> if you want to reach out to us that way, oh, Mr. Chef pod. And yeah, we're on like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the, all the places. Just if you look for Oh Mr. Sheffield or Oh Mr. Sheffield podcast, it'll pop up. Um, and yeah, we I mean we'd love to have new people uh, listen along with us. And especially if you if you've never seen the Natty before and you listen along, please reach out and let us know because I'm always curious what this show, how this show plays to someone who's never watched it and is only watching it now in 2022. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about your individual social media handles or whatever, if, if people want to learn more about you guys um, oh, in your individual uh, works? Do you want to share any stuff like that or sure, what, what yeah. other projects you're working on? People can find me. Uh, I'm at Sean Wrights on Twitter, uh, S-H-A-W-N, and then Wrights, like like Wrights with a pen, like W-R-I-T-E-S. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I'm currently, uh, very proud of, uh, the work that I've been doing on the trailer park boys comic books. So I'm editing and writing and lettering and doing a bunch of stuff. So if you, uh, have ever seen that show and that is of interest of you, uh, check those out because they're pretty cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my, I always say no one should bother with my actual private accounts cause I don't really like use them for followers or anything like that. Um, and I'm just, I'm fighting the good fight out here in LA. So I don't really have anything to plug, but you know, maybe, maybe someday soon something will, something will sell and then uh, <laughs> change. Um, okay. Well, thank you both for, for taking the time. Um, and once again, Oh, Mr. Sheffield is the name of the podcast. Uh, so Sean and Toria, thank you for coming on and thanks to all of our listeners and we'll see you again next time. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Bye. Goodbye.